1: Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and I'm a little older than the last time we spoke. My birthday was this past weekend, and it got me thinking about my roots and my family, and that might just have influenced today's content. We'll see, but let's go through today's order. First, we'll cover our bases. I'll share some softball news and sports news and stories. Then we'll head into today's interview, a special guest, another Becerra in the house, Taylor Becerra joins us. Now, we have a lot in common from our last name to our position on the field and more. And after all of these years of rooting for each other from afar, it's super cool to finally sit down with her virtually and talk about it all. So this is part one of our conversation because, you know, she's too cool and Becerra's get two parts. What can I say? Then we'll wrap things up with a double play tip of the week. I'll share physical and mental tips, this time about hitting. So let's get started. Covering our bases. Lots of news about fall college sports. So the NCAA says there will be no fall championships, and the Pac-12 and Big Ten suspend sports through the rest of 2020. This is all due to concerns around the COVID-19 pandemic. So for the NCAA, this is for D1, D2, and D3. And essentially, the issue is that they don't have enough participation. The Board of Governors has said if you can't have at least half of the teams participate, it's not really a legitimate championship. So the president of the NCAA wants to look at how we can compete in winter and spring to try to make those championships happen. And he thinks it's doable to play fall sports at the same time as the other sports, but does acknowledge that we do have to give the highest priority to winter and spring sports after they both lost their championships last year. Now this has affected all three major seasons in college sports at this point. But he thinks we can maybe modify the model, shrink the bracket size, have predetermined sites where competition is played, and really that's for the virus itself and just being able to contain it safely, and also for the participation issues. Now for the conferences, which remember, this is separate. People often think that it's all part of the same institution because, you know, conference play, preseason, NCAA championships are all in the same season for any sports team. However, they do operate independently. So with the Pac-12, the CEO group voted unanimously to postpone all sport competitions through the end of the 2020 calendar year. They consulted with the athletics directors, as well as with the Pac-12 COVID-19 Medical Advisory Committee they have. The Big 10 relied on the medical advice and counsel of a task force that they have, as well as the Big 10 Sports Medicine Committee. And really the language that both conferences put out was around postponement or suspension. So similar to the NCAA, the Pac-12 said that when conditions improve, it would consider a return to competition for impacted sports after January 1st, 2021. And student-athletes impacted by the fall postponement will continue to have their scholarships guaranteed. On top of that, too, the Pac-12 actually is strongly encouraging that the NCAA grant students who opt out of competition this academic year an additional year of eligibility. So, so much to unpack there. Let me give some quick thoughts. So, college sports is different than professional sports. It's a little more difficult for college sports to operate in a bubble. Athletics programs are part of a broader campus community. Classes are virtual at some schools, but hybrid and others. Some campuses are shut down. It's really hard to standardize. So, I think that's where a lot of this is coming from. I mean, if there was NCAA championship competition, for example, it would probably be in a bubble or a semi-bubble, but it's a little harder to coordinate. I'm interested to see if and how winter and spring sports will both be impacted if fall sports do end up playing at the same time, just especially for those spring athletes that not only lost out on their championships, but almost their entire season this past school year. I think 100% they would be so supportive of their fall sport peers because they know exactly what it feels like to be in their shoes, but resourcing and scheduling will become even more complicated. So there's a lot to weigh there. And as we've already seen with spring sports, there are a ton of implications for extending any kind of eligibility. Because even if the NCAA grants it, not all schools are financially equal and have the money to actually execute bringing players back. It complicates the rosters and the playing time and the recruiting process. There's just not a clear blueprint. So you have to keep that in mind. The other thing is I really, really feel for my sports broadcasting peers. As somebody who covers the Pac-12, I'm seeing firsthand just how this affects our teams and our crews, and it sucks. It sucks. You know, I was supposed to call my first televised games with Pac-12 networks this past spring before the pandemic hit. And to think about others who may be going through similar loss and much worse, it's just really sad. You know, we love covering these stories and these athletes and elevating all of these sports and the community. So I think there are massive and painful implications on the athletes, the coaches, the staff, the media. But I also absolutely think that health should come first. Both of those things are true at the same time. And it's just one part of the overall frustration that I have with how the virus is being addressed. But on the flip side, there are some pro leagues that are trying to figure it out and trying to make it work amidst this pandemic. Athletes Unlimited officially has a full roster, so all 56 athletes are ready to compete in the new format. They're starting to head towards the bubble in Rosemont for competition. This group is really highlighted by so much talent. 20 Olympians representing four countries with USA, Canada, Mexico, and Italy. As you know, we've had several on the show. We had Kelsey Stewart from USA, Victoria Hayward from Team Canada, and Daniel O'Toole and Sasha Palacios with Team Mexico. So I'm so excited to see them compete. A couple more Believe in Softball guests will be involved as well, though. So Danielle Laurie will be on the broadcast. Awesome. And Natasha Watley is actually on the schedule to throw out the first pitch at some point. They actually have a virtual first pitch program. So interested to see how they implement that. But everything, all of this is starting on August 30th, and we will have much more to come as we continue to approach the season. Talk about elite talent. I have to share this. Sierra Romero has her own signature cleats. It's a new release with New Balance called the Romero. And they're white with gold spikes and accents, including her initials, SR, on the heel. And let me tell you something. These are clean. It's honestly kind of a flex if somebody wears these. There's just something to me about white cleats wearing white on the dirt. It's just a bold move and you throw the gold in and everything. It's just next level. To me, it's like PF flyers. They don't look anything like PF flyers, but I just mean like the vibes that they give off and seeing a woman have a shoe deal. What an impact, right? Like not just for women, but for girls. We're so used to seeing it with men, like the entire Nike Jordan brand that everybody loves. And a couple years ago, I remember Steph Curry got a letter from a nine-year-old girl who wanted to buy his shoes for her basketball season, and she wanted to know why were the smaller sizes only labeled as boys, and they weren't in the girls section too, on the Under Armor website. And so she wrote in that letter, and she was like, "You know what? Girls want to rock those shoes too, right?" And you know, he's a girl dad." And he responded and really rectified the situation and handled it well, and I just couldn't help but thinking about that, because now here we are just a couple years later with Sierra Romero. The more women getting these opportunities in all sports, the better. So let's keep normalizing this. And by the way, you can get them at newbalance.com. And in the travel ball world, there's a new fast pitch league in town, the Alliance. So really, this came from Tony Rico, who's the head of the Firecrackers organization, been around for years. And he reached out to different club team leads to talk about this. Really, the premise is that softball has grown so much over the last decade, they felt like some important aspects were falling by the wayside. So like development of athletes and coaches and having clear pathways for players. So it's really about adding more value to the player and her experience. And they've brought in some advisors, including Olympian and great friend to this show, Natasha Watley. And I think she put it really well. It's more than just tournaments and games. It's about investing in these young women. And something that I think is pretty cool is that they're actually going to mirror the current NCAA Division I softball format, meaning they'll have conference play, regionals, super regionals, and a national championship bracket. And USA softball, USSA softball, and Triple Crown all support the Alliance fast pitch. So really this kind of collaboration ideally means better competition and more development opportunities on and off the field. And I have seen that the travel ball scene has been a bit disjointed since I played. And unity is a positive thing for the sport and for the community. And plus, you know, getting experience that's similar to the college season as a youth player is going to be a huge value add. It's going to help with the transition. I mean, you're better prepared when you take your first step on campus. And even when you play your first NCAA season, it's a little more familiar. And I think that's going to be key. In a similar vein, Monica Abbott, another previous guest on this show, has partnered with her first travel ball team. So the MA14 brand under Monica and Texas Sudden Impact have entered into a partnership. And this is age groups 10 and under to 18 and under. And essentially, she'll provide mentorship, coaching, guidance, and leadership in all aspects of the game. You know, people talk about their goals and how they want to grow the game, but I love to see when people don't just talk about it, but be about it and use their influence for good, because this is going to impact the athletes, the coaches, and the families. So I'm excited to see what's to come there. But speaking of families... Are today's guest and I actually related? Let's listen to the interview and find out. She is an Arizona State softball alum, all-conference player in the Pac-12, fellow third baseman and SoCal native, and kind of my namesake, Taylor Becerra. Welcome, Taylor. Thank you so much for joining. Hi, thank you. I mean, finally, right? Like, I think after all these years, is this the first time we're actually meeting and kind of sitting down and having a conversation?
0: Yeah, I think the last time I actually talked to you, like, in person was, like, when I wasn't even in college yet, and you were in Cal- at Cal State Fullerton. So,
1: oh, yes, yeah. for the tournament. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, I remember that actually really vividly, because I remember I actually wasn't allowed to be talking to the-, to the coaches, and my mom was like, just go say hi, and I was like, I can't, and she's like, go say hi right now, and I was like, okay, so I went up to the coach, and she's like, I can't talk to you, and I was like... Like, mom, I told you, <laughs> so I was really nervous. but I do, I do remember talking to you.
1: Sounds like a very mom thing. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> very Mama Becerra also.
1: Yes. And well, yeah, that's right, Mama Becerra. I'm like, hey, I have one of those too. I mean, <laughs> it's it's crazy because we are both Becerras, and you know there aren't very many people with that last name. It's one of those things where, yeah, if your last name is Smith, mm-hmm. you're not very phased if you see someone else with your last name. Because we have a football player,
0: Richie Becerra and everyone's always like is that your brother and I'm like no but I'll take it like so we always pretend that we're related because no one has our last name so every time we like post something we're like brother sister even though we're clearly not related.
1: That's so funny my dad's Richard and and my brother actually and my grandpa they're senior junior and Richard the third so I have to tell them there's a fourth apparently. (laughs) have you come across it in any other ways or really just him like anyone else People
0: follow me sometimes and like on instagram or any social media and like their last name will be Sarah and I'm like interesting like I don't know and then like even it's kind of weird because Richie that guy he kind of looks like my dad's side in a way and I'm like are we related I don't know like it there has to be some sort of connection because he kind of looks like my dad (laughs) it's weird I don't know
1: <laughs> you know I mean you never know right like we, never know. we we don't know for sure also even funnier that they call him Richie because we all well not me but all my cousins and everything call my dad uncle Richie yeah, always so well sometimes we'll meet people
0: and like they'll know Becerra's and then like down the line through that story they'll like get connected somehow and we're like oh my gosh we're related to someone you know like it's just really weird
1: It's yeah man it's crazy. Actually one time at a Rams game in LA like right when they first came back my dad's a huge Rams fan and so my dad and my brother and I all went to a game and you know it's in the Coliseum at the time which is giant but somehow in the row right in front of us there were a group of people that had Rams jerseys on with Becerra on the back and we're like what? That's so weird so weird and then my my friend lived in Santa Monica for a while and down the street from her place there was a mailbox on a house like at a house that said Becerra on it and I'm like
0: so weird whenever I see it I'm like starstruck because like no one has that last name that like I know so and I'm sure it's not like that uncommon when you think about it but like whenever I see it like in person and like right in front of me I'm like who is this person like I have to meet them 'Cause it's so cool. I don't know. Like it it's is not cool. like,
1: like, Lopez or like Smith. I mean Lopez is kind of like the Smith of Hispanic yeah. last names, you know, like in our world. <laughs>
0: yeah. So when people pronounce like your last name, do
1: they like try to roll the Rs? Oh my gosh. No, people don't try to roll the R's, but <laughs> they always okay, tell me what you always get, because I always get Bacara. Oh, of course. Right? Like that's the most obvious one. I think one time someone called me bakeroo like when I was growing up like clearly like it was like a kid who was like it was yeah. a softball tryout and they like didn't even try you know what I mean I was like I think that's me funny
0: story because my freshman year um, when we had our co-interim head coaches one of them coach Wagner um, he could not pronounce my last name like he could after I told him but when he first saw it on the practice plan it was like a running joke for him to have my last name be something crazy like it started off as, like, becaleria, and it was, like, the next day, it'd be, like, bruschetta, and then the next day, it's, like, bicicleta, and I'm, like, oh, my gosh. So, like, every practice plan, like, my name would be something, like, stupid and crazy, and it was really funny, but I always get Becara and then I have people, like, I remember in school, like, we'd have teachers that, like, substitute teachers, and they'd call Roll, and they'd be, like, Taylor Becerra, like, really, really <laughs> And I'm like, it's Becerra. <laughs> like, it's fine.
1: It's fine. We don't need to, yeah. <laughs> don't need to do that.
0: <laughs> but like for graduation, we had to write down our phonetic like last name. That way they knew how to say it. And I was like, okay, I put B-U-H dash and I just put the name Sarah. And I was like, perfect.
1: <laughs> I honestly I'm pretty sure I did the same thing for like uh, the pronunciation guide for the media guide or whatever. Yeah. I was like, that makes sense. they will it'll be fine. I mean people at least get that a little bit better but they you know what they don't do well is spell it right either like that's the thing even some of my close friends still don't it's like you see like you can even see on instagram like how it's spelled how Whenever
0: i see my friends phones like like our conversations i'm like i've known you for five years and you still have my name spelled wrong in your phone seriously (laughs) but it's fine it's usually they put b-e-c-c-e-r-a
1: Same. And I don't get it. Like, it's not like we pronounce it Bachera. Like it's a, you know, (laughs) I don't understand, but that is like consistent. People do that all the time. Or B-A-C-E-R-A. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. My cousin actually, um, he's actually from Arizona or he lives in Arizona, but he went to Grand Canyon and he was an all-American wrestler there, which was really cool. But they used to call him Basura and say he was the trash you can't take (laughs) out. And I was like, well, if you're going to be called trash, like at least that's a cool way of doing it.
0: <laughs> so funny. I don't know why I've never thought of that.
1: I hadn't either until that point. That's one. Maybe I'll use that one day. Yeah. Enjoy. Actually, so his mom, my aunt, they have three boys. And the youngest is named Tyler. And he went to ASU, actually. He studied engineering and everything. I think he must have been a couple years older than you. Okay. But he was going to be named Taylor if he was a girl. And so every time, you know, they always came out to every Kajikawa every time we were at ASU, even if we went to U of A, like, because they were in Arizona, so they'd come watch us. Mm-hmm. And so now, though, they miss it. So they, they'll still watch, and they watched when you were playing, and they are like, Jenna, like, that could have been Tyler. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if he's just magically a softball player, just no. he's a, <laughs> yeah. but still.
0: I, don't, I think it's so crazy. I was actually thinking about it before this. I was like, it's so weird how I went to Stanford for a camp, and I was a catcher. And like at the time, I was like, all about Stanford, like I'm gonna go to Stanford. That didn't happen, but it's weird, like how I still ended up in the Pac-12. And like at that time, I had no idea. Like I was in eighth grade, which is like back then, recruiting was so different. Like you went to camp, you got interested, then you started, you know, your thing. Instead of how it is now, but like I remember going to that camp with Bree Cassidy, who's a catcher at Nebraska or was. And, like, we were both, like, we're going to go to Stanford. Like, this is going to be, yeah, we're going to be teammates. And then, lo and behold, I didn't. But I still played there. Like, it's so weird. It's so weird.
1: Yeah, like, you still were on that field in those cages. Like, gosh, yeah. I know. I feel like it's never how we necessarily think it's going to be, like, the end journey. But somehow it's right. I agree. <laughs> it's weird
0: that I I ended my career at that field. <laughs>
1: I know, which is crazy because I was there. See, that's what's also, we've crossed paths in so many different ways. It's crazy. Like last year, I was calling the ASU series. Like I was, you know, working with Stanford Athletics and Pac-12 and doing play-by-play and color commentary and obviously had to give you a shout out. Duh. Yes. And your mom was listening, I think, and she tweeted a photo of you and me from when you were a kid, when you went to that Stanford game, wearing the Stanford shirt and everything. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing.
0: So crazy! It's like full circle, and I can't—I I never stop thinking about it, like, because I—I mean, I still give lessons, and I—that's what I'm doing here, and I'm very still in the softball world. So, like, I there's never a day when I'm not like, holy cow, this went by way too fast. So, like, I always think of like those times where like I'm like like Amanda Scarborough, like I didn't know her, but I knew who she was because of softball. Ended up working with her at the package deal in your Belinda. When I went home every summer and then she's calling my games and I'm like this is just so weird it's just a crazy experience I don't know there's no really there's no words to explain it
1: softball's growing a lot but it's still a really small world oh
0: yeah very small
1: and we've also had the same coach like add that layer into this like with coach Ford um, obviously she was at Stanford with me but now like she's been at ASU for a while
0: I'm always like do you, do you remember when I was a little catcher and I went to Stanford and she's like I don't know she's like you know what she's like I think I do but I'm not sure I'm like well I think that's weird because you're my coach now
1: (laughs) it's so weird and I mean she was on the show and one of the first things I think as you know because I definitely tagged you and everything (laughs) but I was like so who's your favorite Becerra? you know like obviously put her on the spot immediately why not Mm -hmm. and she didn't give me a, a real answer. She was just like, well, you were the OG, I'll, I'll say that. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. But like, obviously joking, but it's just so cool to me that she coached both of us too. Like, it, you know, it's it just adds to another layer to this whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: Yeah, and she was even like, yeah, how about she also played third base? And actually, you know what, her arm action used to remind me of yours too. And I was like, mm, okay, <laughs> maybe so we are related. <laughs> yeah
0: probably let's just say we are
1: I know so obviously I brought you up in that episode I brought you up in the Sasha Palacios episode recently too yes and she I was like I'm not gonna ask you the same thing I asked coach Ford because you know teammates are always gonna win out in that (laughs) situation but um it was just so funny because again it's like the softball world is just so small Mm -hmm. and somebody after the Sasha episode was like finally tweeted at me and was like okay can we get a Taylor Becerra And I was like, you know what? You sure can, because it's been, I've been thinking about it for a while. And actually my birthday's this month and I'm turning 30 and I feel old, but I'm like, you know, thinking about my roots and my family and my life. And I'm like, who knows? Maybe she's one of my cousins. (laughs) Let's just say we're related. No one's going to disagree. No one will disagree. Prima. You're my Prima. Yeah, exactly. But so you're from SoCal too, though. So that's where like part of my curiosity comes from. You're from Whittier, right? But where else is your family from? like, where are your parents and grandparents? like should we actually kind of trace these ties?
0: My dad grew up in North Dakota, okay, so I don't know anything about that because he came over pretty quick. but my mom's from California um my dad's dad it was from Milwaukee, so it's like kind of spread out and then my mom's roots are pretty pretty much in California. I know that we have like Of course, descent from, like, Mexico and all these different places. But for the most part, I don't really know. Like, I just know that my dad's side is from, like, Milwaukee and, like, some spaced out places. But I should probably ask. But my mom's done, like, Ancestry.com and, like, all that stuff where, like, you can see. And, like, I have some weird, like, I didn't even know ethnicities and, like, all this stuff. So... I should probably ask because I feel like that'd be really cool to like see if like you have some family members from like the same areas. But yeah, I grew up in North Dakota, so I have no idea. Yeah,
1: well I can say I I mean until now I didn't know of any Piseras in North Dakota. Um yeah. but I mean yeah, you never know.
0: Yeah, we have like family in like Chicago. It's we're pretty spaced out.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. so maybe maybe if so it might be a little more distant than we're we're yeah. hoping for. Yeah. It's <laughs>
0: <That's> okay.
1: <Hopefully. laughs> still cousins though <laughs> still cousins it's fine <laughs> oh man but you know family support for well for anyone really but especially athletes and I would say especially softball just like given how much we travel growing up playing club tournaments and just camps like you said everything else gosh like we have to really rely on our family oh but God. for you like what brought you to softball
0: so my old, I have an older sister I'm the middle child my older sister is going to be turning 26 in October So then there's me, I'm 23. And then my little sister who's about to turn 15 in like two weeks. So my older sister played softball. And of course, I followed behind her. And I think as parents, like you can kind of tell, like when your kid's going to be good. And my older sister was fine, but she didn't love it as much as I did. And that was apparent when we got older. But I followed my sister's footsteps and played. So growing up, it was all softball was just always there. Like, right away I was I think I was four years old when I started playing so my mom's always like I knew you're gonna be good when you were four years old and so I think that it started the love obviously started there because I kept playing and then the biggest I guess transition was when I was 10 and I, my mom was like let's try travel ball and that jump from rec ball to travel ball was the best thing that could have ever happened for me so when I was 10 I think is when I was like I'm doing this even though like. Nowadays, it's like when you're 14, you kind of choose if this is what you want to do. I knew when I was like 10 years old that this is what I wanted.
1: So you started playing when you were four. So did I. Yeah. And it's it's kind of similar. See, it just keeps more and more parallels keep piling up between us. But I was about, I want to say actually maybe 11. And that's when I started travel ball. And I kind of knew pretty early too. And I had this moment of like, I just loved softball. And I was playing basketball too. And I was like, well, I really want to do travel and like focus on what I love. So I ended up just focusing on softball Mm -hmm. and, you know, there are, there are benefits to playing multiple sports for as long as you can. But if you know, if you know, and you're like, this is what I want to do, Mm -hmm. then it's hard to, to not just throw yourself in it.
0: Yeah. And like, as soon as the, the decision of like prom or softball or Going to, I was also in cheer at the time when I was like, mm, I don't know, maybe like twelve, and I was still very interested in softball, obviously. So like, I wouldn't go to cheer practice sometimes <laughs> because I would go to fielding lessons instead. And I remember the cheer like volunteer coach that was probably like in high school at the time, threatening to like kick me off the team, and I was like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. I'm gonna go to lessons. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I knew very young that like it was softball. It was always going to be softball.
1: Yeah. My dad always said too, that the higher the level that you go, you know, things kind of naturally filter, like more and more people filter out and in, in the ones yes. that are left are the ones that go for it. And, and that's not just like, Oh, whoever's the best. It's whoever loves it the most and who's going to work hard mm-hmm. and wants to commit. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. So I just recently took an assistant coaching position for a new travel organization out here for 14 u team and they had asked me like in February when I got back to Arizona because I moved back from California to Arizona and they asked me then and I was like I can't do that right now this was before COVID and everything so I had stuff piled on my plate I was like I cannot do that right now COVID happened which was a blessing in disguise for a lot of reasons for me and then like two weeks ago maybe three weeks ago they asked me again and I was like they're like you want to coach 10U and I was like no (laughs) no way they're like 12U I was like nope sorry (laughs) They're like 14 you and I was like, huh. So I talked to the coach that I'm coaching with, and I was like, listen, if we're doing this, I'm not coaching girls who don't want to be there. Like, right. that's just how it's gonna be. So he's like, listen, Taylor, like, I promise you, the girls we have, like, they want to be there. And I met them, and one of the girls I like looked at, and I was like, that is literally me when I was that age. Like, she wants to be there. She's so coachable, like that, and that's what I want. Like, I want a team of like little me's because like I'm like not trying to toot my own horn but like I was I loved softball and like you can tell like I wanted to be there if you needed me to play right field cool if you needed me to pitch I was like cool <laughs> so I'm just I'm really excited because I want to mold like that type of player and like all the rows we have so far are like that and like thank goodness like because I didn't want to coach a team that like you can tell who would rather go to a party with their friends and hang out than continue a practice
1: yeah it's just different priorities but really mm-hmm. like that's the goal like that's the yes. reason that we all like to help and try to inspire like young girls is because we were once you know yeah. and like that's when we fell in love with the game so to be able to do that for the next generation like that is like that's kind of the dream you know Great. yeah I love it well congrats that's awesome I'm excited thank for you that you're able to do that thank you That's funny that your path, I know we keep talking about this, but yeah, things are full circle. It's like your path is now taking you in that direction. You thought that you were going to go to Stanford when you were younger, but like you still ended up in the Pac-12 and just did something different. But what is it? I mean, we obviously have that photo evidence of the Stanford love, but how did you end up being a sun devil? Like your path from 14U to, to Tempe?
0: I remember getting offers and like people wanting me from like some smaller schools and of course growing up being as small as I was like parents and coaches telling me like you know all these packed 12 schools are not going to want they want big girls like they want Oregon girls they want big hitters and I'm there <laughs> 100 pounds like what do you mean so it was always kind of a trip on my shoulder growing up because I constantly was told like you're too small like do you even eat and all this stuff and of course that stuff sticks with me Like, every day. Like, it still affects me to this day because I'm just, like, of course I eat. Of course I work out. Like, I can't help it. So, growing up, for me, at least, it was kind of, like, I wanted to prove these people wrong. Because, like, you don't have to be a big girl. I played third base. I am tiny. Right? I never played third until college. I played middle and field, wherever else. uh, Utility, whatever. But I got to college. And... They put me at third base first practice and I stayed there because I was like, if I'm going to play, I'm going to play. But growing up, I got some offers from smaller schools. I visited a few. And then I think it was my junior year when one of my coaches or my child ball coach invited me. And I think Bella Loomis who's at ASU now to like, just like a, a, like a nightly hitting session. And Boo Gillette at the time was at ASU. So she went out to watch and we were just hitting in a cage. And after that night, coach, my coach at the time was like, Hey, she's interested in you. Like she wants to have you go visit. And I was like, Oh my God, like that's crazy. Cause no one at Pac-12 caliber was recruiting me at the time. It was all these smaller schools. And so Jen Schroeder, like maybe a week later was like, Hey, like Bougelette's very interested, all this stuff. And then oh, so I, I got two people telling me that ASU's interested. And I'm like, Oh, my God, this is crazy. So then my my coach, again, my travel coach was like, Hey, we're gonna have a workout. Mike Candrea wants to see you. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? So then basically, I went to Arizona, had to work out, they were both sitting side by side watching me. And I remember I did so bad, because I was so nervous. Like I did okay, but I was hyping myself, like, I got really anxious. And like, had to take a break because I couldn't breathe. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to be like, no, this girl did so bad. So I remember that night I went to Tucson and visited U of A and the next morning visited ASU. So in the span of two days, I had been to both places and U of A was nice of course. But when I set foot in Tempe, I was like, mom, this is it. Like, and that, cliche feeling is so real like because I seriously came to campus and I was like oh my gosh like this feels like home and I've been to Arizona I've been to Phoenix a few times before that of course for softball but I knew and my mom loved Arizona like Arizona State so she's like this is it like she knew too so it wasn't just me but I remember there being like a click of like yeah this is it and so the next week I called back and I was like, I want to be a Sun Devil. And then it just happened really fast. So I feel like I got lucky because it happened super quick and very random. Like, no Pac-12 schools, no big schools like that were recruiting me. And then all of a sudden, here I am. So I feel like I got lucky. But also, I, my mom's always like, no, it was meant to be like, you put in the work and this happened for you. So I just remember it was like, yeah, this is it right away.
1: That's, the, that's what you want. Mm-hmm. that's exactly it it's like you just know that any big life decision I think it includes this
0: yeah and I have some girls that I give lessons to always asking me like oh I have some offers from some schools like but like like I visited I don't know and I'm like well did you feel like it was the one and they're like eh. and I'm like then don't do it like that's don't do it right. it's the yeah I'm like you will know right away if that's the school you want
1: so it's true it is true I had a slightly similar situation actually where on my unofficial visit, I visited University of the Pacific, which is in the Bay Area. It's in Stockton, and then Stanford right after, the day after. And they actually were playing each other in a tournament that Stanford was hosting. So I was like, where do I sit? Like, do I sit on the Stanford side? Do I sit on the, I'll just sit right in the middle. I sat like right behind home plate, which was probably overanalyzing, which is what I typically do. (laughs) So, but, and it was, it was so strange. Like, same thing that you're saying. But when I was on Stanford's campus, I had the same feeling and um and pacific's a great program like coach colsey's great and i know you said the same thing about u of a right and it's Kandrea, no no words necessary but you just know and sometimes having like that kind of two paths in front of you like that you can almost like feel that it's the right decision even more
0: yeah and sometimes like i don't know like if i had a rough time like my junior year was probably the hardest year of my life and like sometimes in those moments like i would think oh my gosh. I wonder where I'd be if I went to U of A. And of course, my Kendra is awesome and amazing. And so is Coach Ford. So I always think of like the type of player I would be. But then I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't take it back any day. Like everything that happened at ASU, everything that I did, every everyone I met was supposed to happen. And I would never, ever, ever go back in time and change my decision because it's what I wanted. It's what it was meant to be. Like I'm in the perfect place. So I think that I honestly, like it was such a blessing, like being
1: at ASU. For sure. And I loved watching you at third because I love third base too. I'm the same as you though. I was a middle infielder. Like I played shortstop growing up and I was smaller also. And I remember coach Ford even being like, all right, but Sarah, you want to bulk up a little bit for us? Yeah. Or like, what's the deal? You know, <laughs> but you know, you know, not all of us are like hitting home runs left and right. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's okay. We all have our own contributions, but I don't know. How did you feel about third base? Cause I, I loved it. Yeah, no. I like
0: base. When I made the switch, so obviously I was a middle infielder, like my whole travel ball end of my career. And I went to third and like, I just love how you can't think you don't, you can't think there's no time. So like when I would get those really hard, quick plays and then I'd make them, everyone would be like, Oh my gosh, how'd you do that? And I'm like, I don't even remember. I don't know. <laughs> So I I think I had a couple of plays, one at Stanford actually, some big plays, and everyone's always like, Oh my gosh, I watched that play, like, did you know that was gonna happen? Like, da 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 and I'm like, I have I have no memory of that play. <laughs> I have no idea. And I just love how fast it is. And I feel like being a slapper helped me a lot because I can read batters really well, especially slappers. So I loved it. I think I I go back to second sometimes to like do some defensive work and I'm like I hate it here (laughs) because there's too much time when the ball gets hit and when it gets to you
1: yeah second's kind of tough too because you like have more coverages and things like you're right third it's like let's not think for anxious girls like us like yes sign me up like that's
0: all I can do for you
1: Exactly. Gosh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's why they call it the hot corner, right? Like, you're just snagging outs, you're like gunning down fast runners, you're breaking hearts. Like, I just, (laughs) I loved it. True.
0: It's just funny also because I'm so small. So, when people meet me and they're like, they find out I played, they're like, oh, what position? I'm like, guess. And they're like, left field. And I'm like, nope. They're like, second base. I'm like, nope. And then finally, I'm like, I played third. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm really small.
1: (laughs) But I played. (laughs) You know, I should start doing that. I don't. They ask me and and I'll just tell them, I'll be like, oh, corners, you know, mostly third. And they're like, oh, okay. Like they seem a little surprised, but like, they don't, then that's kind of it. Maybe I should be like, guess.
0: Guess, (laughs) Most likely they're going to be like, (laughs) you're right. Gosh.
1: Stereotypes are lame. Oh my gosh. They're so lame. (laughs) So lame. Well, I'll ask you though, like you touched on it already, like as a slapper and then being a third baseman. You get both sides of it, like with yeah. that kind of game that goes on, game within the game. And I yes. asked Natasha Watley this actually too, for the same reason. But what's the best way to beat people to you? Do you like beating the defense and getting on base as a slapper or beating the slapper as an infielder and getting them out at first? In the slapper.
0: I like beating the slapper as a defender because I know what it feels like to have a good hit taken away. And I love being the person who takes it away. So like when someone has a good slap, I recognize that. Like, I'm like, wow, props to you. That was really, that was really nice. But when you can take that good slap away, oh my gosh, it's like you're crushing someone's dreams. Like, and I know what that feels like a lot. (laughs) So there was one play I remember vividly, Jasmine Jackson, she was hitting. So this must've been like two years ago or three years ago, I don't know. But she chopped the highest chopper I've ever seen and I like jumped and like met it and somehow got her out but she was she was out and I was like I can't believe I just did that like that was such a good slap and so I'm like oh or like really good bunts and like getting them out it's like mind-blowing but that feeling of being the slapper and getting a really good bunt thrown out is like the, the worst feeling ever. So being that person that gets them out is a really, really great feeling.
1: I love it. Yeah. It's almost like, it's not just that you should win. It's that your opponent should lose too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Oh man. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. I love that answer. Uh, Natasha's was the opposite. She liked slapping, but she was like really torn about it. Like, Oh God, I just, but I love it on defense too. You know, like,
0: yeah, like it's always great when like you could play with the defense and like you beat them, but I still feel like stealing a hit is like the best feeling.
1: Yes. Exactly. Cause if they do everything that's in their power and you're like, nope, sorry, still got the out. And I love like, like just gunning someone down, like using your arm and moving really quickly like that, you know, or like just diving
0: plays in general. Like if you can knock a ball down, that's like, looks like it's going to be a hit. That's the best thing, especially with like fans, their reactions to those things. Oh my gosh, it just makes it that much better.
1: Absolutely, I used to love getting in their face too, slappers. Like, because my my thing was like, it's like, well, hit it by me then, and if you hit it by me, I'll tip my my advisor to you, I guess, or whatever, tip my cap. But like, I'm gonna make you have to do it.
0: My problem for a while was like being in like that in between because I was still learning at the time, like what is too close and what is far. And so I got more comfortable and I I liked being third. So I would get in there. And of course, Coach Ford was all about that. She's like, yeah, get in there. Yes. And then I started thinking like, okay, if they can hit it past me, like props to them. Maybe our pitcher missed a spot, (laughs) but I don't want to get beat in front because that was like my most annoying thing. Like if I got beat in front, like that's on me. And that's why Coach Ford would always be like, Sarah, get in there. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. Yeah. I'm two feet away from the batter. No big deal. So I hated getting beat in front because as a slopper, when you get, when you beat someone in front, it's like, hmm, I just beat you like, haha. Uh-huh.
1: Yep. so I never
0: wanted to feel like that. Cause that's the worst.
1: It is the worst. And I heard the exact direct quote, Becerra, get in there <laughs> plenty of times from coach Ford too. <laughs> All the time. All the time. Oh, so good. Yes, man. Just. Thank you for saying that, though, because that's something that drives me nuts sometimes when I watch softball now, like postseason especially, you know, since that's on TV the most. But in the World Series, too, if someone gets beat in front, I'm like, why? Like, get in oh, there, you
0: know. It's the worst feeling when you get beat in front because you're like, I should have known that was going to
1: happen. Should have. God.
0: Oh,
1: man. So that's part one with Taylor. I mean, I, I'll say it again. It's so cool after all these years of kind of knowing her to actually dig deeper and get to know each other and we have a lot in common. I would say she's my mini me, but you know, I believe she's her own person, but I kind of like it at the same time. So in part 2 next week, we'll actually dig more into her experience at the Women's College World Series, overcoming injuries and dealing with adversity, a little bit of body positivity, and I kind of put her on the spot and get some good stories and hot takes out of her. So stay tuned for that. Transitioning to the double play tip of the week. This week's tip is about hitting stance, and it starts with your lower half. So physically, it's about balance and consistency. And to me, you might hold the bat with your hands, but in a lot of ways, your base is what sets the tone for your swing. So it's all about building your foundation. Now, we can't have a cookie cutter approach to this. Some elite level hitters, you'll see, they might have different quirks or tweaks that feel comfortable for them but they get the big things right and those are the same. So I'll cover those basics. So in terms of feet width, you wanna generally be a little more than shoulder width apart. And this is really that basic kind of athletic stance. And we've talked about this before where that's the stance that you see in almost every sport on earth, whether you're in tennis getting ready to return a serve or or guarding somebody in basketball, you kind of have that same general athletic stance. So that's what I'm talking about. In terms of how you align your feet, you really want your front foot to be even with the back foot. And your whole body in that case is parallel to home plate. So you want them to be even. But some people like to start with an open stance, which means your front foot is actually further back than your back foot. But either way, once you take your stride in preparation to actually swing and attack the ball, your foot ends up even or parallel with your back foot anyway. So you get there eventually, but it's important to be as aligned as possible. That way you can adjust no matter where the pitch is thrown. Now with your legs, bent knees, this goes into the athletic stance as well. It's not just where your feet are, but also how your body is. So you have bent knees and you have the weight on the inside balls of your feet almost like you're holding a basketball or a small beach ball between your knees or your legs. And this really allows for balance. If you were kind of just to stand there normally and someone were to nudge you with one hand, you actually might lose your balance. But if you have the bent knees and the weight on the inside ball of your feet like that, it's a lot harder for them to push you over. It's much easier to keep your balance. And this also will help you leverage your power and momentum in your swing once you get there. So really, if you put all of this together, This leads to three parts that start the process of your actual swing. That's the load, the stride, and the transfer. This is all in the lower half still. And honestly, I'll probably break each one down in another double play tip of the week, but I'll give you the gist right now. So the load is when you shift that weight to your back leg. That's the first thing you do for your swing once you're in your stance. The stride is the step you take with your lead foot, or if you just lift it off the ground for timing, whatever you do, it's that front foot action. The transfer is when you then shift that weight from your back leg to your front side to generate power. And this all leads to the rest of your swing, where you will start to engage your upper body. But the position I've explained for your lower body in your stance now allows you to load stride and transfer properly. Now, mentally, in most of softball, to be honest, it's about having a plan, but hitting it's extra important. It's one of the hardest things to do in sports. We say this all the time you can fail seven out of 10 times and still be a success, right? Then you're hitting 300, that's still solid. There's so much we can't control what pitch you're gonna see, the velocity, et cetera. But one thing that we can control is our approach in the box. So, physically, you're staying consistent with your stance, and that comes with reps. But mentally, have that plan before you even step into the box and get into your stance. So, where do you stand within the box? And this varies by pitching. There are a lot of things to consider, like the velocity of the pitch, the movement, the pitch calls, their go-tos, and your strengths as a hitter. So for example, you have to think about, do you want to be towards the front or back of the box? General rules are, for slower velocity, you can be in the front of the box. to so just go out and attack it. When it comes to thinking about movement and different pitch calls, let's say there's a drop ball this pitcher's throwing that falls out of the zone or even a rise ball that jumps up out of the zone. You might wanna consider being towards the back of the box so you can see it all the way in and let it break out of the zone so you're not chasing those pitches. The other dimension to consider is if you wanna be up closer to the plate or backed off the plate. We talked about how your body will be parallel, but how far away from the plate will you be? So let's say your strength is you have fast hands and you like the inside pitch. let's say you're like me. Then you might get on the plate to get good plate coverage to cover the outside pitch because you're able to trust yourself to get your hands inside and turn on something inside if you need to. But let's say a pitcher's bread and butter is a screwball that breaks in on the hands and it's still able to scrape that corner. You might want to back off the plate a little bit to allow your hands to get better inside. Making your plan also considers the patterns that you're seeing from the pitcher. It's all about making adjustments. So you can have a baseline for where you start based on your preferences and what feels comfortable. Then you just adjust your plan as needed. And this can change from game to game, even from at bat to at bat. This is an ongoing process. It's fluid. But overall, remember that your placement is strategic and it requires that preparation. So that's the physical and mental side of the hitting stance, balance, consistency, and have a plan. That's the double play tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, available anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and Believe.com. Subscribe, share the episodes, rate and review the show too. Looking at you, Apple users. Keep hitting me up on Twitter at Jenna Becerra01 and Instagram at Jenna Becerra. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.